Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. We bring you the very best recorded panels, workshops, and seminars concerning role-playing game design and publishing. This has been made possible by the generous contributions of the panel speakers and Double Exposure with their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Episode 99. Why do you hate your reader and or players? Recorded at Metatopia 2015. Presented by John Adamus. WriterNextDoor.com. All right, done. So, uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, this is Why Do You Hate Your Players slash Readers. We'll talk about why I make that distinction. Mostly it's so I can fill space in the title line. Uh, my name is John Adamus. It is 10 uh, fuck o'clock in the morning. Nailed the recording, you guys. All right, so you can find me on Twitter. Uh, that's the easiest way to, to, to get me on a regular basis because much like a 14-year-old girl, I literally can't even... But I do tweet a lot. So, uh, the point of this panel is pretty much, and I wanted it on Sunday, pretty much so I can um, talk about the really terrible practices of writing and game creating and then how to fix them. Uh, Because editorially, I spend an awful lot of time running over the same 6 or 46 or 96 issues. And they stem stem from a, a core basic set of issues. So, um, the the title of this is not just nice to fit on a line and it's shocking and intriguing. It's it's my most common response when I'm editing. Uh, usually in like Word with comments, it's all caps. Why do you hate your readers? Uh, and what that means is why are you either assuming you're way smarter than they are, uh, whether or not they are dumber than a box of hair. Or why are you not trusting them to understand this thing because you keep beating it worse than a dead horse? Uh, because player trust is the inherent contract you enter into uh, the minute they've bought your book. I mean, yes, people buy books because the art is pretty or because they're, it's their friend's Kickstarter, sure. But on the whole, you buy the book with the intention of either mining it for parts or playing the thing. Or even owning it and saying, well, yeah, I totally back the Kickstarter, so the book's on the shelf if I have no intention of you know, ever doing anything with it. Yes, we all do that stuff, but on the whole, um, it's there as a resource tool, both for us as the owner of the material, as well as um, a resource for the, for the owner of the, you know, the reader. Uh, and it's designed to be a resource tool. Uh, most game books are not built to be read cover to cover. Uh, unless you're, you know, like gushing, like if you if you wrote a piece and you want to like find it in the book because you're not going to have a byline, yeah, totally. Then read it cover to cover till you find your section. But on the whole, um, it's not sequentially read. It's called it's what's called instructionally read, which is, oh my god, I got to read about combat. Flip, 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 flip. Combat section. Oh man, I got to totally find that that uh, index of spells. Flip, 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 flip. Spells. The um, Assume, the assumption that your, play, your, your readers, your players, are going to read your book from beginning to end is a great way to uh, give yourself the belief that you know way more than they do, just in general, and start sloping your attitude towards them in a way that suggests that 
you're doing them some favor by telling them about your game. Whatever the heck it is. Doesn't matter what your game is. The uh, And that's a load of horseshit. Because neither side is doing the other a favor. They're not doing you a favor by giving you the money. Because they're interested in the thing you're doing. They That's why they gave you the money. You know, if they were just going to be nice to you, they'd buy you coffee. They wouldn't buy, you know, a $25, $35, $16, whatever book. And you're not doing them a favor because they came to you with an expectation that, hey, I like your work. I like this idea. I like your premise. I like your whatever. Uh, please tell me more. I'm, I'm here voluntarily because uh, they are here voluntarily. And the minute they catch a whiff of the idea that your text is... Um, snotty, rude, arrogant, assumptive. Uh, just like when you have a conversation with somebody and like, that person's a dick wagon. Uh, they'll put the book down and walk away. And we want to avoid doing that because uh, if you write multiple books and they assume in the first one you're a dick, they're not likely to pick up the second or subsequent books because it's possible that once a dick, always a dick. I don't know if that's true or not, but that suggests I'm cynical. So... Maybe do better than me, you guys. So, how do we fix this? What do, all right, so let's talk about what the problem looks like. So, you know when we talk about how people get it or don't get it? It's kind of like that. And I, I'll be more clear. So, let's say you had to explain something to um, somebody who's never played a role-playing game before. Never, ever, 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 ever. Like, they, they've played board games. they played, you know, like the usual. Monopoly, Risk, Parcheesi, maybe. But you, they've never sat down and like role played a character in any capacity, right? So generally, we decided thirty something years ago to solve that problem by creating pages and or whole chapters and or appendices that talk about like, okay, we're gonna walk you through a whole game, and you know, Bob's your GM, and Tim's your player, and Steve's the other player, and then there's always a token woman so that we're not accused of sexism, which I think is a really backwards instance, but. There's always somebody in there, and she's always playing the badass character so that we can show that women are tough, which is, again, complete horseshit. Because why can't women just do everything in this example? Or why can't anybody do whatever they want in this example? So you start walking them through the game. And there's a difference between walking uh, an adult through a game and walking, say, a six-year-old through a game. Your reader is not a six-year-old. I mean, maybe you're writing a game for kids, but even then, even if your kid reads, don't treat your reader like a six-year-old, even if they're six, because that's not going to help them stay reading your stuff. Because if I'm talking down to you like, oh my God, you guys tied your shoes? That's so good. That's my hyperbolic example. An example in text would be, um, pick up the deck of cards. Split them in half in both your hands. Place your thumbs on one corner. Place the two corners together using your fingers to bend. Uh, fold the two together quickly. Or I could just say shuffle. Over-explaining is one of the ways we hate our readers. Because we are assuming that without our words, without our specific line of declarative verbs and nouns, you're not going to grasp a concept. Now... This is, shuffling is my hyperbole, but if we look at something like, let's say you've created a magic system or a faith-based prayer system, which is not, you know, that's, bless you, that's your, you know, 
thing you're hanging your hat on. Like, let's say you're doing a classic high fantasy, and you've invented new gods and magic and stuff, right? So you want to, you know, you want to spend text talking about your favorite part of the game because that's the thing you're proudest of. But it's not just a volume of text issue, it's a quality of text issue. Because if you spend 10 pages talking about what your magic system looks like and two pages on the mechanics, that's going to give the impression to the reader that you really like hearing yourself talk. Whereas if you spend a balanced number of pages, you know, maybe five and five in this ten-page chunk, then you're giving, the ex you're giving the experience to the reader when they look at it visually that the mechanics of what you do is as important as the story you're telling behind what you do. Um, a great, terrible... All right, so a, a, an example of it going poorly, um, go look at second edition Forgotten Realms. They spend an awful lot of time talking about how great Forgotten Realms is. And they spend a, a relatively shorter period of time telling you how Mordekainen's mansion works. Or uh, Invisible Servant. Or other spells John can't think of off the top of his head at 10 o'clock in the morning. And, and the fo where you put your focus in the text is, how you're, is an indicator of how you treat your reader. Because the reader's job is to play the game. That's their only job. Not to, you know fillet you, not to sing your praises, not to put you on a pedestal, nothing like that. Their job is to take a game, open game, understand material, and then go do something with it. Because you can't control what they do. You cannot control if they're going to hack your game, skip your game, house rule it, you know, um, decide that, you know, your mechanics are great, but your world sucks, or vice versa. So, don't try. Just present. And you do that... It just presenting by remaining as encouraging as impossible because you want them to go do your stuff you want them to go take it apart if they don't like it yes there are indie games that have a sidebar that say hey if you guys don't like this you know monkey around with it go for it you don't have to go that far some people are not comfortable like exposing that vulnerability of I worked really hard on this but if you guys don't like it you, you make what you want um, some people are some people aren't it's not a bad sign or anything. But it's, that is how you build trust with them, so that they can stick with you through 60, 80, 180, 220, however many pages. You should trust them to understand what you're talking about. This is why we have examples. If you lack examples, so examples are a funny thing. If you lack examples, you are suggesting that they're going to fill in more gaps than you're giving them credit for. Like, just do magic, you guys. Just fireball it up. Go ahead. I'll wait here. And then I'm going to move on to talk about commerce. With insufficient explanation, I am giving you too much to fill in, which does not encourage you to go look at my material for how to do it. Because while you might have played, say, D&D, &D, and if I don't tell you how I'm different than D&D, &D, like let's say I'm doing Arduin, which is grossly different than D&D, &D, but if I... Um, if I don't, if I just say go fireball, you're going to take whatever the first picture in your head of fireball is, and that's what you're going to use. Or if my mechanics are so complicated, you're going to find ones that are simpler, like just roll the dice, and that's how many things blow up, or that's the how big the fire burning is, as opposed to you know find your armor penetration, your depth of fire, your rate of temperature, your movement, and your wind current, which is all things that Arduin did in the 70s because uh, dudes were nerds in the 70s. I don't know if you guys knew that. 
So the issue is uh, two little examples, and you're 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 not trusting a reader to understand your words. So you're not going to say that. You're going to save them the trouble of reading them. Too many examples, and you think they're morons. How many times do I have to tell you that in order to cast? I'm picking on magic users. Uh, how many times in order to you know cast fireball, you have to pick up this die, roll it, pick up that die, roll it, hope these two things, consult this table, shake a tail feather, eat some pudding, and then roll some damage. How many examples is too many? Ask your editor. Um, how and my my advice, I, I will here. Dovetail your examples together. Have them tell a story. That if I just looked at your examples, I'd, I'd see I'd see how to play your game. Not just individually in capsules. Like, oh, we're going to talk about car chase mechanics. So you've got your car chase example. Have that car chase example be part of the thread that goes through all your examples. You know, maybe you're maybe prior to you talking about car chases, you talked about how stealth works or doesn't work or whatever. So you've got your example about stealth and how they blew a stealth roll, so now they're exposed and caught, so what do they do? They jump in a car. And that leads you to segue into your car chase mechanic. And it becomes, you, you want to try to blur that line between what is my example of play and what are my mechanics of play. Because when we talk about stuff outside of books, like if you were to, what's your favorite movie? One of them. Any of them. Big Lebowski. Great. If you were to talk to me about Big Lebowski, you would you would guaranteed tell me elements of the plot you like as well as things you like about the characters. I'm right there with you, by the way, because it really ties the room together. So, invariably, when we outside of games, when we summarize stuff, we give a combination of plot, which is essentially in our case mechanics. The me plot of our game book is mechanics, not plot of world building. That's just fancy adjectives. We read the book. We, we read a book for plot. We read a book to see the story. We read a game book for the mechanics. Therefore, mechanics are plot. Everybody follow my seventh grade algebra. Sweet. So, if you don't, if you, if you make it all, if, if I'm just reading a technical manual like, oh, this is how you do this. 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 And there's no world. If I'm just reading a mechanical index, I might as well read the instruction manual to my dishwasher. Here's how I put dishes in. Here's how I put soap. Here's how I make it rinse. Here's how I make it steam dry. Woo, you guys! Um, so we shouldn't be so we shouldn't have IKEA instructions for role playing games. Oh God, no. Okay. Well, I mean, you could you could IKEA colon the RPG, the IKEA -ing, or the hexing, um, which I I honestly would play once. Um, the assembly. Yeah, <laughs> it would right unless it's a LARP. Uh, at which point, I, that's just, you know, what John did in the back room of his house, and quite frankly, there was enough of that. So, um, your examples should uh, marry into the, the overall narrative, not just the world-building narrative, but the overall narrative of your book. I, I, I am a fan of, of not seeing very hard division into between, I'm talking rules, yo, and I'm talking about world. Because your world, your creation, is supported by your mechanics, whether you express those mechanics or not. Because that's the story you're telling. That's that's one of the reasons I picked up your book as a reader. The harder your divisions, the more you are uh, saying that you know better than the player. And yes, you are a source of knowledge for the player, but you are not necessarily smarter than your player. You may be a game designer, they may be 
a game designer with more experience. They may be uh, a literal rocket scientist. They may be somebody who is paid to be more intelligent than you, because that's not dismissing your intelligence. It's not like you're pond scum and they're, you know, chimpanzees. It's just that they can be smart too, you guys. So why not assume they are and act accordingly? <coughs> so we blur that line and we allow the overall effect of our book to be one where we constantly draw them in deeper. The the, the other thing I write, in addition to why do you hate your players, um, is I need to drown in the experience of your book. I, I need to be not overwhelmed, but I need to be so deep in this, I don't come out of it easily. And when I say come out of it, I mean lose the thread of why I'm reading this. Because I'm coming to your book in chunks. I'm coming to your book in sections. And if your information is so scattered, if your information is so like half your shit's over here, half your magic's over here, but then it's interrupted by your, your priests because you, you narratively want to talk to me how there was a rift between magic and faith-based magic and you've elected to split your mechanics based on your storytelling. And then, oh, by the way, that reminds you, you've also got to talk about your deities now. And oh, by the way, then you've got to talk some world building so you can understand this stuff. The more times you have to frame it as the word understand in your head, like when I ask, why is this here? Well, it's so they understand. Uh, that's when I get my cane and I shake it at you. Your job is to make them understand. Your job is to help them understand. Your job is to lead them through the thing you're making, not just push it at them. You're not selling like deodorant, which has an obvious conclusive purpose and has a single function. And when we go, deodorant, you picture roughly the same ballpark of stuff. But if I talk high fantasy, practically, you know, some people are going to go one way with it, some people are going to go another, some people might go a total third. And you cannot account for that. So working within the assumption that everybody totally knows because your thing is egoically the bestest is not the best way to uh, structure that in such a way that that happens a lot on Sundays. Mm, whatever. Uh, that is not the best way to encourage them to keep reading because they're gonna they, they're not gonna want to come back. They'll just start house ruling your stuff, which defeats the purpose of you giving them the opportunity to experience the thing you want to experience. Because if I have to house rule it, I'll just go back to the book I had originally. The other major issue other than examples as a demonstrating way to hate your players, is by taking way too goddamn long to get to the point. One of my major problems with books in the 90s was that everybody and their mother wanted to put fiction up front. There was a certain company about non-dark-colored pack animals where they, they talked about uh, a lot of fanged bipeds and how gloomy and rainy everything was um, while they opined about the the merits of sanguination and uh, misery. See where I'm going with this, you guys? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they threw the fiction up front so that you could feel the world. Fiction is not the only way to deliver the world to them. The whole book should deliver the world to them. Because the mechanics are not just, oh, by the way, guys, here's how you do this cool stuff. Look at me. I'm Because that gives the impression you're showing off. I'm going to tell you this cool story for 100 pages. And then, oh, by the way, if, I guess if you guys want to do it, 
here are some rules. The line should be blurred because the book is the encouragement, the permission slip to be awesome. Because it's the only it's the best way to share your idea. And if you're taking like fifteen pages to preface I don't care what game you're making. Especially in in a shorter game where you've got like, I don't know, a board or a card game where I'm not picking up your board or card game to read fiction. I'm picking up your board or card game to play a board or card game. And it's about understanding the economy of space. So if you're burying the lead, I'm my first as an editor, my first thought is uh, either you don't have anything to say and you're stalling, or you really like hearing yourself talk, which is fine. And as somebody who gives a lot of panels, I like hearing myself talk. But there's a time to do that, and then there's a time to entice people to do the thing they wanted to do in the first place, which is play your game. Awesome. So let's talk about how to fix this, because that's the idea in a nutshell. The, 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 it's not just enough for John to bitch. It's enough for John to bitch and then give some solutions. So we've already talked about blurring the line between example, example, mechanic, and expositive set dressing. We're gonna, there are other ways. How about sentence length? Sentence length is a great indicator as to whether or not I'm being snotty to you, I'm being passive-aggressive, I'm being uh, overcritical, or I'm being vague. So I can drag a metaphor out. I can drag a metaphor for a paragraph about you know people in leather trench coats in the 90s. But I can just as easily say, yeah, I mean white wolf. Yeah, I mean vampire, you guys. Modulating, varying your sentence length is a great way to uh, move your reader into and out of and through the ideas you're working with. There is no reason why all your sentences have to have six words. There is no reason why your paragraphs all have to have four sentences. I made up numbers. Don't, don't you know? Some people learn that all paragraphs have three. It doesn't matter. Your paragraphs can be one sentence. I don't care. That sentence can be a fragment. I super don't care. Is it used effectively? Does it do? Does it deliver me the the unit of information it's supposed to? If yes, awesome. If no, let's fix it. Let's make it do that. Maybe we don't need it. Maybe you've said the same thing six times. Cut it. Because there is no right number of words for your game. There's a sweet spot um, contextually. Like, I can't sit here and go, your, what game are you making, sir, in the second row right in front of me? You, yeah. Oh, uh, well, I was actually coming into the board game aspect, too. So okay. The instructions are... Okay. Are so, board game. Yeah. Um, off the ballpark me the number of rules your board game might have. Is it less than 30? Yes. Is it more than 6? Yes. Okay, is it less than 20? Yes. Is it more than 15? It's probably still in the ballpark of 15 to 18. 15 to 18, yeah. great. So, I'm going to guess, not knowing you and not knowing your game, that for 15 to 18, you have maybe you're doing front and back side because you want to be able to flip that shit over. And it's maybe, if you're using small font and going landscape, maybe seven pages of paper? The initial one was about six to seven, yeah. Yeah. So, you don't have a whole lot of space, because I'm assuming you're going to use columns. Maybe three if you're going landscape? Yeah. Yeah. You should, yeah. And maybe one of those columns, when you get down to an orphan, has art or a chart or something. I'm trying to avoid it just for the sake of space. Oh, I love you. So... You don't have a whole lot of space with which to belabor a point. 
Um, and you shouldn't because you have 15 units of information, 15 to 18 units of information to deliver, and each unit can only be so big because you've got the next one to get to. In a uh, – can I pick on board and card game for a minute, please? In a uh, – that is sushi if we're using food metaphor. It's a single unit, ideally hand-rolled with some rice, in a single package. I know what I'm getting. I'm getting a whole six to eight pieces of uh, spicy tuna, which is what I had yesterday. It was delicious. So the rules are only going to be so big. Yes, your sentence structure might vary from rule to rule. Yes, you might be able to express one rule. Do you have cards? I have a good yes. So maybe one is one of your rules shuffle? Yeah. Yeah. See, that's a, that's a word. Shuffle, period. Or shuffle cards, two words. You're not going to sit there and break down how to shuffle, right? Because you're assuming people know how to shuffle. Whereas he might have a subsequent rule specific to his game that is maybe three sentences, up three sentences, because you're trying to get a specific idea across. That's fine. The trick with the trick with numeric sequential rules, whether they're numbered or not, the trick with sequential rules is that they lead from each other. I get to B because I was at A, and I get to C because I was at B, and before that I was at A, and I'm moving forward. If you, those are sequential rules because you've got to understand the first to get to the second. And whenever I have to grasp a rule, grok a rule, whatever grr word you want to use, that's where your example goes. You don't need an example with every rule. You don't need an example with every rule. Examples can go in chunks of rules if your rules are particularly complex. If your rules are pretty simple, like shuffle, deal, take one card face up, roll some dice, move token... Again, I just made up whatever it was. You don't need a whole lot of explanation there. Those are direct actions. The more declarative your verb, the easier it is to understand. Everybody know what a declarative verb is? Yeah, declarative. The more abject or informative your verb is, the less likely I am to enjoy it in a short context. Meaning, the verb's not doing the lifting. The verb becomes soft. You're looking for then, I want to look at the noun. For example, shuffle cards is a declarative verb. I'm telling you to do something. But if I start it with, um, once the cards are shuffled, comma, deal five cards to each player, the key there, the hinge word, is after the comma, and it's deal. You can omit, once you've shuffled the cards, if the previous rule is shuffle the cards. You just told me that. I'm not a goldfish. I didn't forget. And you can tighten up the amount of words on the page, which, from a publishing standpoint, you could technically say helps your budget because you're requiring your writer to... to it's also helping your layout person because now there's less words to fuss with when making columns. And that shows that you're trusting your reader to have read the line shuffle and then move to rule two, deal cards, as opposed to, okay, hi... I need you to put your foot in the shoe. Once your foot is in the shoe, I need you to pull the laces. And once you've pulled the laces after you've put your foot in the shoe, and you're just stretching on and on and on, and you're putting your, what's called backloading, which is in a sentence where you take the thing you want them to do and you put it closer to the period than the capital letter up front. When you do that a lot, you are suggesting to the reader that you're basically patting them on the head. Good reader, you guys are so good. Who's a good player? As opposed to shovel, two, deal five cards. And then you can expand, you know, comma, have three face up, have two face down, 
etc., etc., etc. But it's about verb selection. And if you want in an instructional text, cardboard game, if you want that, you need sharp, clear verbs. You need strong verbs that say specifically what you're talking about. Because if you're just uh, using, let's see, let me think of a, good, a nice one. Uh, players should have three cards in front of them. Well, I, I should also have, you know, a bevy of beautiful humans around me. I should have Scarlett Johansson listening to my every word. I, I should have, you know, a thousand dollars in my back pocket, and there should be a, you know, a bacon and extra cheese stromboli coming to me every twenty-five, you know, hours. Tell me what I need. Spell it out. That doesn't make you stupid. It doesn't make the reader stupid. It means, yeah, I can get to playing, which is what you want me to do, because you want me to have the experience of your game. In a role-playing context, you still need to be declarative, but you get the extra benefit of a little bit more meat on the bone. You get the ability to give the declarative verb along with maybe a reason why, or maybe a bit of explanation as to what it does. So roll 3d6. There's your declarative verb, roll. And 3d6 is the unit of three, you know, three six-sided die. But when you get into roll 3d6 to determine charisma score, or ability score. I'm picking on second edition. Where, where, which, which verb is the critical verb? Because technically you're determining the score. So maybe that's the important part. But you wanted me to roll dice. So maybe that's the important part. So how would you solve that? Because basically, that is one, if, you, if you keep framing it that way, so you've got two verbs separated by a comma and a, and a clause in the middle, you're playing it tame. I don't want you to be tame. I want you to take bold chances in your text. So how about we flip this idea around? For all ability scores, roll 3d6. There's your declarative verb right there, hanging out in the middle of the sentence. Immediately it draws your eyes because you've used the, the combination of 3 and then you know d and 6. So your eye sees it because that's not a word we normally encounter in English, so it must be special. That's called iconing a word, which will totally get you points in Scrabble when you use it. Um, because it draws your eye to it because it's not standard. Uh, rule books live and die by those principles. Because if I have to spell out roll three dice, your eye is going to glaze over it more likely, or is more likely to glaze over it. Because three is a word, does not stick out in our brain as quickly and as evocatively as three the number. Which is why when we have a lot of numbers, we kind of all glaze out because there's no context and framing for it. Like if I were to write out pi... Uh, like, I don't know, a line of it in, their blood would leak from someone's ears somewhere, and we'd like to avoid that. So it's about understanding not only that the text has a visual expression to people. They look at it and go, oh, roll 3D6 period? I understand that unit. I, I know what that's asking me. I have, I have, I am bringing reader experience to your thing. You must, that, that tells me you expect me to understand that already. I get to use knowledge I have already and not feel patronized? This writer doesn't hate me. But if I go pick up three six-sided dice, roll them in a shuffling motion in your hand and display them, uh, place them out on a surface, well, now you're just listening to me talk and over-explain. Over-explaining is a great way to keep hating your reader because it allows you to keep burying the idea of what you want them to do so they never get around to doing it because... Oh god, it's roll 3d6, but I gotta, you know, read two and a half sentences before I get to the what the hell you want me to do? 
<sighs> After a while, uh, the exp- a great example is Earth Dawn. Remember Earth Dawn? Yeah. I challenge. I will give you a dollar on the. I will PayPal you a dollar if you can look at Earth Dawn and find me off the top of your head because I know where it is. Where the rule sentence is in each paragraph that breaks down the mechanics because it's always in the same place. That is awful. Here's why. If it's always in the same place, after about four iterations, my eye just jumps to it. And if my eye just jumps to it, why the hell are those words in the way? Because you're going to say, oh, but those are really cool words. Right. But if, for example, your mechanical issue, the thing you want me to do, is always the last sentence in the paragraph, all I have to do is go, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Now you can offset that by varying your sentence so your paragraphs aren't the same size. But I can still build a pattern in my head to say, oh, this is cookie cutter. Okay, so all I have to do is just look for this, look for this, look for this. And then I, as a, as a player, will pick up my highlighter. And then I can immediately dispense with anything not highlighted. I'm not suggesting you start camouflaging and obfuscating, because then you're just being snotty. And I don't mind doing work to read your rule, but I don't want to do so much work that I'm back in school. I hated school, you guys. Please don't send me back just to play your game. So instead, frame it in terms of make it clear. Hey, we're having this experience. I want you to play my game. I'm going to tell you how to do so in as encouraging a way as possible. Yes, there will be some window dressing because I want you to understand the atmosphere. But on the whole, I want to give you the information so you can do this too. You're not just buying my book to have my words. I mean, my ego likes that sound. But on the whole, you're buying this book to have the game. And we're going to work towards that goal. Questions so far? Because I'm going to get more technical. All right, so I need to know uh, who's board and card and who's RPG. Board and card people, where are you at? Okay, an RPG? Okay. Um, are you guys cool if I do RPG first because there's less of them? Uh, are you guys high fantasy? Yes. Um, not at the moment. So, cyberpunk? You'll be doing it. Uh, no, it is, oh, you're uh, together? Yeah, alternative yeah. history. Alt history, okay. Um, so, alt history. Okay. So, if, if you were to tell me alt history, the first thing you'd likely do is give me a context. Are we talking the entirety of mankind alt history? Or much like our 17th century. 17th century. So you're not going to get into like 25th century. No. And you're not going to get into like 7th century. You're ballparking me in 17th, an alternate 17th. But there's at least my time frame. So what I need to do is understand 17th so, know, so that I can see how you've twisted it. Okay. You've picked the tricky, you know, the tricky one that I don't have a ready example for. Good job. That's awesome. Um, because I don't know much about the 17th century. So I would look to your book to first explain to me some basics of the 17th century. The problem is, when writing alt history, I have to take your alternation, your changes, as it, you know, as they are. So if you tell me that, you know, if you don't preface it with, in my world, horses have wings, I'm going, I'm, and that's my hyperbolic example. If you're telling me that, you, you, you know, horses have wings, and I don't know much about the 17th century, there's a chance I will think that in the 17th century horses had wings and then they lost them. But if you preface it with, here, in name of game here, here's a list of stuff that's different, I am able to go on my own initiative, look up the 17th century, and then compare. 
and your examples should help me make that comparison easier. Not that I always want you to keep reflecting back to OG original history, but when you do make a significant deviation, not just like, we're going to make these guys wear red instead of blue. I mean, like, significant. Like, let's give them Uzis. I need to, I need to know that, oh, we are, we are stepping away for purpose. Alt history hinges on purpose of information. Why are you making this change? Whatever it is. And how deep does this change go? And what are the consequences of this change? You know, when you look at, like, classic Civil War alt history, they're like, well, what if the South had an M16? Well, that changes quite a few things. It has quite immediate effects depending on when it's deployed. Uh, Harry Turtle Dove. Yeah, Guns of the South. Right, Guns of the South. Uh, although it had aliens and weird shit later on. But on the whole, because aliens gave them the guns. It was weird, I know. No, okay. Is that a different Harry Turtle Dove? All right, whatever. They all blend together in my head because the writing was soft and I didn't. Whatever. It was, a, it was one of the books I bought at the supermarket because I was bored and it had Lee holding an M16 or something. Uh, yeah, no, it's just it's the it's the it's almost the classic uh, Shadowland twist. Yes, exactly. Right, you I, I I want you to build me a world and show me the twists, so that when I see the twists, it's clear that oh right, this isn't you know make you know making the guns an inch longer. If you're not playing a very crunchy simulationist thing, is not a significant enough change for me to go. I, I guess the guns were that long then. Yeah, I'm going to take it to your word. But if you're starting to make significant deviations and that's the purpose of play, like, look what look what happens when we, we, we fragment so sharply this way. <coughs> then take me there when you mechanize. Because if, if your mechanics are around those changes, then that's that's the point of play. Rather than just, oh, by the way, we're in an alt-history world, but we're, we're, we're making 17th century Shadowrun. It just happens to be an alternate Earth. Well, I sort of assume that because it's Shadowrun, and that's the part you want me to hang on. So your your order of information tells me uh, it's also called primacy of information. The more important stuff is where, generally up front, because I want you to lead in. So how you stack that information and what progress is going to tell me a lot, especially in RPGs. And what you what you circle back to tells me, oh, remember that because you've mentioned it more than once. And examples build help, you know. So it's information, example repetition, possibly a supplemental example that isn't the same as the first, back to new mechanic. There's your loop. That's really any RPG. But we'll use alt history because that's you guys. So it's information, demonstration of change, uh, example, context, back to new information. And any inversion of that cycle, flip it around however you want, totally fine, but you still got to build that loop. Because without that loop, you're just talking at me, which is fine, and I love the sound of your voice, sir. It's melodic, and you and I like the same movie, so I'm totally your buddy. But without that, you're not delivering me the information I'm, I, I need to play the game, and you're basically saying, you guys fill that shit in, John. John can. Invisible Tim over here might not be able to. And you've got to be able to cover a broad spread. Make sense? Yes. All right, I'm going to go talk to the board and card guys now. Hi, board and card guys. Welcome back. Thank you so much for waiting. <laughs> Board and card guys, you're going to get a completely different build cycle because uh, you have uh, you work in a scarce economy because you have limited space. Unless you're going to write me like Axis and Allies and have like a nine yeah huh? I saw that face like a 96 no it's, I don't give a shit like a 96 page instruction manual. 
Please don't write a 96-page instruction manual because it makes your box heavy, which makes your shipping costs go up, which is really irritating. Also, if I lose it, I'm totally hosed. And I know me. I'm going to take that shit out of the box, put it down in the living room one day, and go, oh, I don't fucking know where I got it. I bet it better be on the internet. So, let's talk about discrete units of information. The more simply you can organize your thought and then build around it, like building a skeleton, like we're talking anatomy. So, build a skeleton that is the most clear and least fluffy thing you need me to do. One of the one of the advantages board and card guys have in this discussion is that your play becomes your example. Because I could take your stuff out of the box and try it. Because they're physical tokens. I can interact with them. As opposed to my RPG side of the room where I have to like imagine. Which is fine and I'm happy to do that. But short of you saying take out four minis and arrange them like so, like in the picture, I'm up here far more than I'm here. So Build a skeleton. What's the simplest way, declaratively and only, to tell me the steps of play? One step at a time. Please. Now, if two steps are related, can you put them together? Sure, of course. But you're doing this in a way that doesn't talk down to me. You're not my dad. You're doing this in a way that encourages me to go, Oh, This doesn't sound threatening or complex. I'm not going to lose a week and a half of my life setting up this stupid risk game that eventually I'm going to get bored with, or this is not the ninth hour of Monopoly, Grandma. We're going to move forward with our day. Let's go have some cookies. You're setting this up in such a way that I can go, it's how many steps? 15? Great. Are they pretty straightforward? Hopefully. But if it looks on paper like, oh, like six of them are like shuffle, deal, and then play, rotate... Yeah, I totally got those. Let's give this a shot. Because you want people to play your thing. You want people to be able to open your box and not be intimidated going forward. Like if, if um, there's a game from Heroes Workshop called uh, Titan Legion, which is like an early plastic mech game. That box must weigh like 60 pounds. It's in my closet. It's huge. It's like a suitcase because all the pieces are punch-out articulated and you've got to snap them together. It's from the early 90s. And you're supposed to glue them down and paint them and paint them a certain way and then put the board together and then put them on the board and then play the game. I didn't know that going in. I thought it was a straight, here are some pre-made, because I thought it was just you know gray plastic. I thought it was just pick this stuff up and go the same way like Blood Bowl is or Man of War was. It's not. They wanted to get, you know, they wanted to show off that we have a plastic guy way back when. And that immediately put me off. So you guys, build a skeleton of your rule. Equip me like a, like a I'm going to use a gaming metaphor, equip me like a zero-level character and send me out into the world. Now try equipping me like a fifth-level character. Give me some chain mail. I don't know why I always give my fifth-level character chain mail, but let's go with this party. Give me a little bit more meat on the bone. Does it distract from what I need to do? Hopefully not. But it, it helps me know better. Now, yes, if one of your rules is shuffle the cards, there's not a whole lot of window dressing shuffle the cards needs. So maybe don't fatten that sentence. But you might want to you might want to you know play around with the order of information, the wording of deal five cards to the player on your left. Why did we start on the left? Why didn't we start on the right? Why isn't it just deal five cards to every player? Question the elements in the order you put them in. See if they need to be there. 
if they do, okay. I mean, this is true for RPGs too, but it's it's more a, actually it's more a card game thing because in card games. People have a really terrible habit of either being really, really minimalist in their roles, um, and that, that's true in pitches when it's like, oh, it's like Cards Against Humanity, except, which assumes I know Cards Against Humanity, and then you're just tacking on stuff. Don't make that assumption. Don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now, I pick Cards Against Humanity because it's something most people know, but don't assume I have pre-existing knowledge. RPGs? Assume I have a little creative freedom knowledge. I might need. I might not know a lot about 17th century, but when you say alt history and the and the art and the vibe of the book supports it, I kind of know where we're swinging. Board game. Do you do the same thing of themes in like board and card games. Can you assume they know you know about trains or yes. dogs? Yeah, totally. Because I was coming to theme. So yes, there's my hard segue. Thank you. What's your name? <laughs> What's your name? Kyla. Hi, Kyla. Thank you for being my segue into theme. In a, in a role-playing game, theme is delivered by art and layout, and then secondarily by editing, because it reinforces the words on the page to help deliver the overall effect of the idea you're putting together. So alt-history, layout, look at things, or is it European history? Yes, well, pretty much. Ish, mostly? It's colonial America, so yeah. Okay, so you want to look at things to reinforce a colonial vibe. I'm going to guess there's lots of wood and some wood grain feeling and some lines. I'm just making something up. Great. See? And these things right. These things reinforce the idea. Just like when we talk steampunk, we're always looking for brass and wood. We know these things are base concepts. So the the visual of it reinforces the, the idea behind the text to put the whole package together. Board and card game people, since you have a scarcity of words, you are relying more on visual information. Pictures. What the board looks like. The art on the cards. The the stuff on your tokens or pieces. Your color of your dice. These visual elements make up for the fact that you don't get a whole lot of words like the RPG side of the room does. And you can shake your fist at them because there's no one side better than the other. They're just different challenges because they can go overboard. I'll point over here so you don't feel threatened. They can go overboard and write too many words and oversell the theme so that I get it, you guys. It's colonial. God, can we move on? Whereas you guys can go too minimalist and go... I don't care. I don't know what your theme is, but I know your mechanics. If your theme is reinforced by your mechanics, I'm going to have a better experience than if it's not. So, for example, let's say you're making a game about you talked about trains, right? That was that was the thing you talked about for theme, like seven sentences ago before I started yammering. If your thing, if your if your theme is trains. And you maybe array your cards horizontally the way you were building a train. You're helping reinforce the idea that, oh, right, this is the train game. And the information is discrete, and I can, I can compartmentalize visually as well as aesthetically and help deliver the experience to my player. If, however, you're doing, let's say, let's look at a game without a, real, without a theme that's readily apparent. Magic the Gathering. I have no goddamn idea. I have no idea what magical... I know there's lore for magic. There's apparently wikis, and I can ask a whole lot of people on my Twitter feed, like, tell me about the history of magic. And, I mean, I know the, like, the, the professional history, like the cards started here and this is that, but, like, there's a wizard and... Pe- uh-huh, sure there are, buddy. 
it's not maintained consistently through every card. Yes, there are some sets that do that, but on the whole, it's cards. And I know they have colors, and they've patented the word tap so that no one else can do it without paying them a butt-ton of money. True fact. But you can always just say rotate or activate and get right around that. There's your editorial cheat for the weekend, you guys. Um, I did that once and somebody was like, seriously, I can do that? I'm like, yeah. And they, that was like their crowning moment. So your theme gets reinforced whether you realize it or not. It's just whether or not you actually make it a conscious effort. Because if your theme is unconsciously transmitted, chances are it's not the right theme. For example, I thought the game Esoterrorists had way less horror elements than it really does. Uh, based on the initial art I saw, the cover, and what somebody told me about it. And then when I got into it, and it wasn't until I, you know, read the thing that I'm like, oh, there are elements consistent with other company brands. Oh, that assumption is what every player is going to make. Because he goes, oh, is it 17th century? And I first went to European. I didn't go colonial right away. I could have, but I didn't. And he's like, no, it's colonial. Well, there's the assumption I made. Board and card people. If you're making a game about magic equines and um, or whatever you're making your thing about and you're not clear about it, if you're just saying, oh, it's about magic, great. Is it wizards? Is it genies? Is it fairies? Is it whatever? And you're not narrowing me down, I don't really think I need to know your theme. I just want to play your game. And you don't want me to do that because there might be other games like it on the shelf and if I had to choose, there better be some appeal to your game beyond its theme. I'm not playing your game for theme. I like your theme. Your theme is pretty. But I'm playing your game because it does what I want it to do or it does it in, a, in an amount of time or it does it because I have so many players coming to my house and I don't feel like digging out another thing. All of that assumptions... That's great grammar, John. All of those assumptions and all that trusting versus mistrusting the player is the sum total of whether or not you come across as hating them. The other element in the last two minutes before I take questions, the other element is whether or not you hate yourself. This is a bigger deal than you think it is because I know an awful, a, a, a ton the I, almost the majority, depending on the slice of group we're talking about, who produce a thing, board game, card game, LARP, whatever, and there's some part of it where they're doing it to seek validation. I'm doing it. I'm, I'll be the first person to tell you. I'm making a thing so that my cool game design friends think I'm just as good as they are. Because I don't think I am. I, I get paid to help make their thing good, but if you were to ask me if I thought my own ideas were like that, oh, God, no. I'm a moron compared to my friends. And I know this because they have, like, 15 things to their name, and my name is on three. But if you go on the inside cover, my name's all up and through that shit because I edited it. That's a big deal to me. And seeking that validation, it doesn't matter who your reader is. Your, your reader could be, you know... I don't know, your favoriteest person in the whole wide world. Not just your mom, but somebody out there, you know? 
Seeking that validation in text becomes obvious when you start he- you start um, laboring your points. You start adding your extra fat. You start adding your extra examples. You take forever. You're, you start adding extra bloat because you don't want them to to leave your book. Please don't leave me. I'll keep giving you more information. Or in the design phase, you never fucking finish. I have a very hard time finishing my own work. It took me 50 drafts before I was like, oh, wait, I think I'm done. And it took play tests before they were like, yeah, you're done. This thing works. Stop, stop, you know, stop poking it with a stick. Let's, let's move on. Because I was afraid that if it was done, it would get judged. It's going to get judged. It's going to get judged whether you know it or not. It's going to get judged by people who are not even in this room. It's going to get judged by people not even in this country. It's going to get judged by somebody somewhere. You have no control over that. You're not doing it for them. Never do it for them. You can't even predict what they're going to talk about. Somebody might go, oh my God, they use plastic? Or, oh my God, they put a white border on that. Or, oh man, they use the word the in that sentence? No. I don't like it. It's gets One star would not play. Or whatever people do in my obnoxious girl voice. The, the fact remains that you can't control that. So just produce your thing to the best of your ability. If you're ever sure as to whether or not you hate your readers, go find an editor, and, and they'll help you. Um, they may not phrase hate your reader the way I would or the way some of my friends would. They might phrase it as, um, this doesn't assist them in play, which is the really nice way of saying this. Or uh, this is um, unclear and not doing what you think it does, which is the slightly harsher way. But why do you hate your readers? Is way more grabbing on a Sunday morning. So let's do some questions before I run across the hallway. Hey, man, how you doing? I haven't seen you this weekend. Yeah, I've been around. Um, Me well, too. I've game. been down here. Yeah. Um, board game rules. When you have yeah. something, I'm currently working on a um, word game. Sure, cool. And where you, there's a point where people can declare a word, and it sort of comes out of the. Like, your turns go on until mm-hmm. somebody can form a word. Right. So in terms of the word order, do you, like, refer to this is where and then point them down to a separate section so that the normal turn flow? You or can. Or you put it there? You can. Um, that's a layout issue at some point because okay. if you want to draw an arrow, like, visually do it, sure. If you want to do it in text, sure. There's no wrong answer there. Okay. It's personal choice. Okay. Because um, I can make a case for either, depending on other factors like what size font are you using, yeah. how many words are you using in the sentence. There's there's no wrong answer there. If you okay. if you like doing it one way, just be consistent with it. Okay. Because if all of a sudden you start, you know, like I did this for the first rule, but in my second example I go a totally different way. Be consistent. Thank you. Okay. That was a good question. Anybody else? Over, but, uh, I can go over anything you like, sir. Of the cycle you yeah, yeah. Okay. Information. 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 Discussion of change. Well, there's lots of verbs you can use, but we're going to go with discussion of change because you're oh, you're you're pointing you're highlighting the thing that's different from my expectation. Okay. Then you want to get into generally the usage, how this happens, how do we. How, You've told me this thing. You've told me how it's different. Now what do I do with it? Like, there are guns. The guns don't fire bullets. They fire food. 
making up my hyperbolic example. And why? So it's what is it? How is it different? Why? Show me. Give me new information. So it's a 12, 3, 6, 9 circle. I mean, if you want to do like rotate the circle a little bit and go like 10, 2, 4, 7, whatever makes yourself happy, but there's four points to hit. Got it? Cool deal. Darren, am I, are you my follow up panel? Okay. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Is there any other questions or issues? Nope. Thank you guys so much for coming on a Sunday morning. I really appreciate it.